Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth, and I can't stop staring at my cat's exposed nipple that is just staring right at me while she's... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Paint me like your French ladies. I'm sorry. <laughs> looked over at the wrong I was moment. wondering what had your attention. Because <laughs> you are hyper-focused. Yeah, it's just a nipple just staring at me. Um, anyway, this week... <laughs> Uh, this week, we're talking about Wendigos, buttworms, William Eubank being scary on a farm, and also William Eubank being scary underwater. Hell yeah, we are. Pew, 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 Hell pew. yeah, we are. Before we talk about that, though, Terry, what are you being for Halloween? Oh. Are you doing it? Well, are you doing anything for Halloween that would require a costume, I guess, is a good lead-in question. No, I'm not this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, unfortunately. I, you know, I... I think next year I want to host like a party uh, oh. at my place and do like a costume party again. Cause I did that like eons ago and then I just haven't. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It just, with the move and stuff, we just, yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't think I'm, but we are going to see, um, scream in the movie theater on Saturday. <gasps> oh, that and sounds I'm really excited fun. for that. Oh, that yeah. sounds cool as hell. What are you? Are you doing anything? I am. I am up? going to a costume party. I'm very excited because last time I did a costume, I was Mothman. And <sighs> this year, I'm going to be Lady Domitresque from Resident Evil Village. <gasps> oh, my God. I can't wait to see. All of my pe- costumes. All of my costume pieces came in yesterday. Or I think the last one came in yesterday. So I'm very excited to like. That sounds so much fire. I'm very I'm so excited. excited. Ah, me too. Awesome. I'm excited to dress up. To just dress up. 
yeah, I have take to put up, that on Twitter and stuff, you oh, know. Oh, duh. Take up so much vertical <laughs> and horizontal space. I got a giant hat. Oh, I got a yes! giant hat. Don't worry. Yes! She has a giant hat. And I'm wearing a platform oh. heel. So, like, we are going to be the biggest bitch in the room. And I'm very excited. Oh. <laughs> I will be the focal point of the entire party. <laughs> Hell yes. People are going to be like maneuvering. And you know what the nice thing is? If it starts to rain, you have like like an umbrella on your head. <laughs> Listeners, I said this right as she was taking a drink. That's why there was silence. She's... That's why I was trying. I was no, fighting she's... for my life and it's sparkling water. I swear water. my joke did not, did not fall flat. <laughs> so it's like pepper water in my mouth while I'm trying not to laugh. So my mouth. Oh, is... no. <laughs> but yeah, I also have a skull, a skull cup that I'm going to be, like, I think, putting oh. like something red in. Mm-hmm. Not red wine, though, because red wine makes me want to di- actively die and it does not sit well with my spirit. So we'll figure you know, something I else love, out. I love red wine, but... My day yet the next day after does not love red wine. That's what it is. It's like, I don't mind it. But the next day I'm like, I had one glass. (laughs) Why do I feel as if I've been hit by a train? Um, Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Wendigos. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of getting hit by a train. Nope. That's not even remotely a transition. (laughs) Well, at one point, the. The uh, the police chief does ask if a body that was found was hit by a train. Oh, true. Okay, cool. So there is. So <laughs> we good. We got there, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, Wendigo. <laughs> Wendigos. Yeah. So we both saw antlers, and uh, I have thoughts. But I guess if in case you you don't know what it is, it's in it's in Oregon, an isolated town. Middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student, whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with a legendary ancestral creature from an indigenous myth who came before them. Um, what were your What do you think about this movie? Um, so I well, this is this movie has been like on the precipice of being released for like two fucking years, mm. so it's finally out. Some so, credits actually saw it, like, two years ago. Oh, that's right, because it was so close to coming out. And then it was just, like, mm-hmm. pandemic. Pan pizza. Um, but, so, I liked it, but I found myself very frustrated with it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I've i read the original short story, The Quiet Boy, which is great. Um, this more takes inspiration from that than it is really, like, mm-hmm. based on, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I think my biggest problem is that Wendigo stories, because the Wendigo is an, is an indigenous figure, like indigenous peoples of Erica, like they're, they're the origin of the legend, the figure, the spirit of the Wendigo. And so these movies that are made about the Wendigo are always very white-centric, and this was no exception, Mm -hmm. which was disappointing, Mm -hmm. I think. They had, they literally fell into the stereotype of having one indigenous actor, Graham Greene, who is literally plays, like, the token indigenous person, and I feel like a lot of movies, is the person that they go and talk to about the Wendigo. He gives them the explanation, and that's it. And they open the movie with a woman speaking in an indigenous language talking about the Wendigo. And I thought, oh, that's a really good sign. That's really interesting. Like, a lot of these movies don't do that. But it fell into those usual trappings, which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. Like, I know the, and the Wendigo is a terrifying creature, and it's a really great creature. And I think you can make a movie like this, but you just need to, like, 
I don't, I think you can make movies about the Wendigo, but just try to be a little bit more like aware of the origin of the monster, I guess. And that kind of just bugged me a bit (laughs) was my big thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Same. Uh, I, I too had a very similar reaction to it where it opened up and I was like, Ooh, okay, good. We're having an indigenous person speaking about this, this myth. This is good. And then I was like, okay, but I know that it's going to be centered on a, on white folk. Cause I've seen the trailers and I know that Carrie Russell is in it. And I know that Jesse Plemons is that, is that mm-hmm. his last name? Yeah. I know that Jesse Plemons is in it. So I'm like, okay, so at what point is this going to be, have anything to do with the indigenous myth of the Wendigo? And then of course you get the, um, wise mystic, uh, former sheriff, Graham Greene, who is basically set dressing and comes in to fill in the dumb white white folks about what they're dealing with. And I I think that that's my complaint about the movie as a whole is that there's a lot of what I would say mise-en-scene. There's a lot of like trappings of them dealing with trauma and generational trauma and like abuse. There's a lot of trappings of this indigenous myth. There's a lot of trappings of indigenous people kind of in the scene, but like they don't really do anything with it. Yes. Everything about this movie feels incredibly surface level. And Mm -hmm. it's frustrating because it's like, you can tell that they were trying with a lot of this stuff, like with the drama, like it Mm -hmm. felt like they really were trying to push that, but it really, it falls short. And it is a, another instance, and this this is actually leads to like a wider theory that I or a wider like thing I currently have is that like I know we've all complained about wanting shorter movies, but I mm. think people have taken that too much to heart and haven't really thought through what that means for your script writing. Because mm. I feel like this was a movie that could have benefited either from you trimming out a lot of stuff or going deeper into the characters. And I wish they got deeper into the characters. I think they were setting up some really interesting stuff with Carrie Russell's character's trauma running parallel to the little kid, like Lucas's, the kid's trauma. And I thought there was some interesting stuff going on there that could have gone deeper, especially with her brother and her's relationship with trauma. But... Mm-hmm. Again, a movie. This movie could have benefited from like maybe ten extra minutes just to like kind of lay more groundwork there. But I feel like people might be pivoting towards like shorter movies, but not necessarily thinking about the consequences of having a shorter movie. Well, I think yeah. I, I think I think you're you're right. I think it needed to be one of two things because this could have been a lean, mean creature feature mm-hmm. or an intense. Um, character drama. Mm-hmm. And the problem is for me, like this is, this is uh, listeners. I like this movie. I'm, I'm yeah. giving it, I give it about a three stars. It's, it's going to be, it's like a positive review. It just, there's a lot of issues I have with it, mm-hmm. but I, I think what, what bothers me is that the first half is this very intense, very depressing character drama. And then it just like turns and all of a sudden it's like, we're in a creature feature and the two parts don't feel congruous with each other. It's just like two separate movies crammed together. And I feel like they, I don't know if it was, you know, they needed to, to punch it up and they wanted not to, you know, just be a character drama or, or whatever the case may be. It just, it feels like there's two different kinds of movies at play here. And I do think either one slimming it down to making it a terrifying Wendigo creature feature or two, allowing it to percolate a bit more, like you said, I think probably would have benefited this a little bit better. 
Yeah. And like personally. the creature design is badass. Like there's this Oh, it's great. And it's it's fun. It's a it's fu- it's not fu- fun's the wrong word cuz it's pretty fucking actually pretty sad. It's really really <laughs> sad. It's depressing. It's really really it's dour. It, it's dour. Like it is, which is quite impressive for a movie that I've actually been seeing a lot of ads for like on the streaming services mm-hmm. that I use, which I mm-hmm. and so it is I think what it is is exciting that it's being made into a, like a bigger like kind of like bigger horror release this year. I think that's actually pretty cool. I just kind of wish they had pushed a little bit harder on the story. Yeah. But yeah, I I did enjoy it. I think it's a great Halloween movie. Like it's gross, it's creepy, and it goes a lot deeper than just like a surface level creature feature. You'll feel sad afterward, but it's Yeah, it's depressing, it's good. but it's well acted. I don't I just don't think it lands with at the ending as much as like the movies that it wants to be like yeah this falls in like the same ilk i would say is like trying to do kind of a babadook or like you know trying to be that kind of level of exploration and i just don't think it lands in the last five or ten minutes with the kind of oomph that they want it to yeah i I think it has a lot to do with the fact they didn't dig into some of the characters i think they wanted Mm -hmm. you to have more emotional connection to at the end and i was like that bad move, my friend. Bad move. Yeah. In my mind. But, yeah. But again, I like the movie, y'all. <laughs> um, I definitely recommend going to see it. It's just, there's, it's just, it's, I guess it's frustrating because it feels like it's like just a few steps closer to. I know. The, it would have been like a four-star yep. movie or, mm-hmm. or more. And for me, it's solidly a three. Yeah, that is the problem where you could see where it could have been better. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I don't make movies, but like, oh, it was right there. Just a little bit more mm-hmm. oomph. But. Pivoting from that, though, to uh, our um, America's favorite twink, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Dune. We Dune. both saw that as well. <laughs> that was a fucking delight. Wasn't it? Okay, good. I love Dune. So Steve loves Dune. I love Dune. We watched the David Lynch one a couple years ago. Had a grand old time. That movie is fucking terrible, but like also great in its own way. Um, mm-hmm. This is not that great. Um, mm. Read the book, the first one. I am not like a big Dune head. I've only read the first book. But I was super excited for this. And it did not disappoint me. And they're <laughs> making the second one, thank God, because I it know. ends on the weird. So, just to say, like, this movie ends in the weirdest part. Like, the book has a natural time skip in it. And I'm like, mm. I don't understand why they didn't just break at the time skip. I think that's very strange. But whatever. That's like such a dumb like I read the book comment, but here I <laughs> Here I am. What do you think? Um, okay, so I am not familiar okay. I've seen the David Lynch movie eons ago, I think when I was a kid. My mom was a huge science is a huge science fiction fan. She loves Dune. I don't know how many oh, of the books she's read, but okay. she loves Dune. I've never read it. Okay. Um my introduction to dune was through the david lynch thing and then there was like a tv miniseries that i saw like yeah. some of mm-hmm. i know what the general storyline is mm-hmm. i know there's a little bit about it but like it's been again 20 or 30 years since i've seen this movie because i probably saw it when i was like eight or nine so i i just i, I remember the blue eyes i remember the the space worms and I remember the creepy Harkonnen. Harkonnen? Is that even how you say that? They say, say Harkonnen in Harkonnen. the movie, but I say Harkonnen. I don't really know because it's space shit, so I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but Harkonnen. I remember them. I, and like, yeah, because the Harkonnens that's, that's, are fucking gross. At least the Duke, yeah. the, the Baron Harkonnen with his little spill. And he says, 
smooth little cat body. He says that in the, in the David Lynch movie, and I, we say that <laughs> in my house all the time because of our cats. We say, you have a smooth little cat body. Anyway. Ugh. It's disgusting, but we say it anyway. It's gross, but amazing. <laughs> but, okay, but I, my, my, my point is, is that I've, I guess I've heard some people that like were confused about this movie, and I don't really know much about it and i felt like i was able to follow along perfectly fine oh good good to hear i was here i was curious to hear from someone that i knew that like wasn't as familiar with dune that was like i got it i mean i'm sure that the movie misses out on you know some nuance that's in the book because in a book you have like so much more time to dig into specific things and you know character motivations and thoughts and stuff but like i thought what was here was was good i thought it was absolutely beautiful oh. it puts to shame any blockbuster that's being released in the last like decade of superhero movies gorgeous. i'm like if, if dennis is able to do this with dune why can't y'all get your shit together and make your green screen blue screen led screen whatever the fuck you're using make it look good because i'm sorry this movie and the work that um they were doing on green knight and the wanting mayor looks 10 times better than anything that marvel and dc are doing with their green screen i'm sorry to say it i don't know if that's a hot take but it's the truth and i'm just watching this going i cannot tell if they film this in a desert i cannot tell if they what part of this is real what part of it is not i cannot tell any of it and that is what i love yes steve and i have the same conversation of like oh i wonder where they filmed this like having a hard time distinguishing between like on set versus on a soundstage and Mm -hmm. um denis villeneuve shit plays with scale and in such incredible way like he establishes a sense yes. of scale so well like you really understand like the scope of the world and the size mm-hmm. of these spaceships and how tiny people are in comparison to like the rest of the environment which is a huge part of dune that mm-hmm. i know that some people were like you didn't get as much into these issues with water because there's a huge environmental message in dune about water conservation and they didn't go too into it like super deep in this one so we'll see if they do that in the next one. But, like, okay. you do get this really good scale of, like, environments and the size of these environments and what people think they are versus what they are in nature, which I think is what's really cool with, like, the sandworms, because the worms in this are hu- like, obviously huge, and they have these giant butthole-looking mouths, like, full of <laughs> teeth. And I just think that... Villeneuve plays with that scale so well. Like, you really get a sense of, like, how vast these worlds are and how big everything is, and it has this epic feeling to it that I think it's hard for a lot of people, especially in, like, these big fantasy sci-fi epics, to really grasp, but he does it so fucking well. And he does that well in all of his movies. Like, he's so good at scale in his films. And that's something, like, I didn't know how much I appreciated until I watched Dune and was like, oh my god, like taking my breath away with some of these moments. I mean, also it has Oscar Isaac spitting. (laughs) Yes, that too. Thank you. It does. It does have Oscar I, Isaac spitting in it. I have never been so turned on at a meeting. <laughs> Everyone in that movie is really attractive. Oh, my God. And, okay, 
Timothy Chalamet, like, I've always thought he was cute. He's not my type, but I've always thought he was, like, you know, cute. He was handsome in this. He was like, very handsome. He was very He has handsome. kind of grown into his face, into his body. I, I think he's probably been obviously working out because he looked shredded in the couple scenes that um, that he is shirtless. But he his face, he looks so handsome in this. And I just, I, I love him. I just, I think, I think he's America's twink. He's a good, he's a good Paul Atreides. He's definitely a really good Paul Atreides. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, I loved it. I'm really excited for part two. I really want part two. And I'm excited because part two is going to do more with Chani, who is Zendaya's character, and then also Lady Jessica, Rebecca Ferguson's character. I, uh, he, like, okay. They're going to go more into like the women of Dune in that one. There's a lot of really crazy shit that's going to happen in the second one that I'm very excited about. One, one final thing from my, from, my, from my end. You mentioned earlier about how it ends in a weird space. And one of the things that surprised me about this movie is how it sort of inverts the blockbuster um, format where there's like a giant battle at the midpoint and then for the next mm-hmm. like hour hour and a 20 minutes it's a little bit of a slower paced movie and then it kind of ends on a small note as opposed to like a lot of times when a blockbuster happens it's ending on like a huge this is the big spectacle moment and that moment happens about halfway through the movie so it was, it was kind of a weird blockbuster format for this and it surprised me it's got lord of the rings fellowship of the ring vibe to mm. me where that ends like it, there's a little bit more of a battle closer to the end than that but like kind of that note of like when sam and frodo look at each other and they walk off and that's the end of the movie like they're walking towards mm. mordor like this gave me that kind of vibe like this is only the beginning I like i that. think they literally said this only the beginning or some shit like that so like I, he meant for this to be two movies it just hadn't been greenlit oh, yet which is so fucking ballsy of just being like it's not greenlit yet but there's gonna be a part two and i'm like hell yeah I'm glad people have turned out for it, both on HBO Max and in theaters. So yeah, I, that's and awesome. I had a meeting on Monday, and like it was the first time I've been in a meeting in a long time where like almost every single person had seen a move like the same movie over the weekend, and we're talking about it. It was so cool. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, I love movies, and like you didn't have. I mean, like yeah, seeing it in a theater is probably better, but like not. I watched it oh, at home. I would have loved to have seen this in a movie theater. Yeah, but you like, know, oh my god, still nervy. I still go to the theater sometimes, but, like, sometimes I don't want to leave my house. So it was nice to have the option to watch it at home, and I think... Oh, yeah. I just would have... Lo- I wanted to see this on the biggest screen possible with, like... Yeah, IMAX for this one might be actually sound. pretty fucking just... cool. Because that soundtrack, that fucking score... Oh, this is Hans Zimmer's best score. Oh, like, I was like, who is making this music? And I looked it up, I was like, oh, it's Hans Zimmer. I mean, it makes sense, because you can hear some of that zom, like, yeah. big bass notes. But, like, I think this is probably his best score. It just fits perfectly yeah and it's adventurous yeah and i like how they're pulling more of like the kind of muslim like a lot because a lot of dune is influenced by like islam and like mm-hmm. and arabic and mm-hmm. this movie leans a little bit more into those influences and so does the music which i kind of like and i hope they do more of because david lynch's was so whitewashed mm-hmm. that, like did not kind of like and sci-fi is this weird problem like borrowing from like Eastern, like not non like Western things for their for sci-fi, which is always a fascinating trend. But I I liked to see how Villeneuve kind of leaned into that instead of trying to shy away from it and like had a more diverse cast of characters. Mm. So hope there's more of it. Anyway, Dune. <laughs> I love yeah, Dune. Dune. It was great. Me too. All right, I'm mad at you because you saw I know. this movie and I didn't see this movie yet. I'm fucking mad at you, and it's not your fault. I'm. But I'm, I'm mad. mad as well because I was kind of hoping we'd have a conversation about it. So I'm not going to dig too much into it because I I would like to have a discussion about this film. But I am going to say that if 
you're listening to this now, uh, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin is out on... Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus? Yeah, mm-hmm. Paramount Plus. And I am really curious to see people's reaction to it because uh, I've I've talked to a couple critics who have seen it and a lot of the reaction to it has been kind of mixed and yet here i am saying that this is probably my favorite of the paranormal activity movies even the first one this is a movie that i would probably uh go back to and rewatch more often than the first one yes wow and I get that that's probably a very hot take for some people, but fascinating. This is why I'm so I need to like, I need to see it in general. But like, damn it, when you say things like that, now I really have to fucking see it. <laughs> but like, I I think I'm afraid I might be alone in that in that regard because I'll, I think every single person I've talked to is either like I hated it or it was okay. Whereas like I'm I was really digging it. I would say do not watch the second trailer. Hopefully you haven't, because it literally spoils plot points that happen, I don't know, 20 minutes before the ending of the film. If even that, it might even be like 15 minutes before the end of the film. Like, it's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> but so, I mean, this movie has, um, as far as I, as far as I'm aware, it has nothing to do with the original ones. I'll talk very briefly about it because I want to have it more in depth later. Um, but it's about this film, this documentary filmmaker who discovers um, she was um, adopted. She discovers that her uh, family uh, is Amish, that her biological family is Amish because one of the people in the family went on Rumspringa and did 23andMe and discovered, boom. Oh, fascinating. Have, I, have, I have kin. And so she goes there to film it uh, with her um, cameraman and a sound guy who is the comic relief, and he's really funny, and I – love his character in it and they so they go there they're in this place and what what i really liked about it is that because this place uses no electricity everything is very dark it makes sense why they have the cameras because they're using them for light oh cool okay so they're using the the night vision they're using all the standard tropes the night vision the the lights on the camera and stuff because it is literally if you don't have an oil lamp or a candle it's pitch black and so you have that, and then it builds to this gonzo finale that I just, like, loved. I just love the ending of this movie. So I, you know, if you have Paramount+, Plus, go watch it. If there's a free trial, go watch it. I think, I don't know how expensive Paramount+, Plus is, but it might be worth just to get it for a month because it's the same price as renting a movie, probably. Mm. So... I mean, if you're a fan, I would recommend watching this and then hopefully Mary Beth will get a chance to watch it and we can dig into it because I am really curious to hear your thoughts. So I'm very angry. Very angry. I tried. (laughs) My emails, they go unanswered. I just want to watch your movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Do you know who I am? Just kidding, guys. I would never (laughs) fucking say that to anybody. (laughs) Uh, but yes, hopefully I, I will plan on what if I don't get a screener, I will watch. It. I will pay for Paramount Plus to see this because you all know how much I love found footage and paranormal activity. So I have to for, for this. But it's directed by our boy, William Eubank, who also directed mm-hmm. another movie we're talking about today. The end of our aquatic horror uh, journey. Completely unexpected on my part. I was watching it going, oh, wait, we're talking about two William Eubank movies. The Range. The Range. The Range. Yeah, what, what's the last movie we watched for our... Oh, no, I guess maybe I should answer that. 
I don't know. Whatever. What's the movie we watched for our land of our aquatic horror journey? <laughs> uh, we watched Underwater. Underwater from 2020. Kristen Stewart looking butch and hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. I will say I'm sad that she wasn't like explicitly queer in this movie. It made me have my heart kind of sad, but that's okay. Yeah, fair. Fair enough. Yeah, so I haven't seen this movie since uh, watching it in theaters in January of 2020, right? Yeah, that was the last movie I... No, it was that. No, Invisible Man was the last movie I saw in theaters. But this is one of the last movies that I saw in theaters before. One of the last for me, too. We saw it for my birthday. Yeah. And... Because it had that that unfortunate January release problem, but it was not a bad movie whatsoever. No, and I, I, it's so frustrating to me because I feel like if this movie was a success, we would have seen a lot more underwater or aquatic horror films. But I feel like this was sort of the nail in that that coffin because it was such an expensive film and it failed spectacularly. And that's a shame because it looks expensive. Uh, I think it's intense. I think that it is paced incredibly well. Yes. I've seen some people talk about how it's a little sad that the monsters only kill like one person in it. But I think that the the way the film unfolds is really good. Uh, I think it's exciting. And I feel like you don't feel that they only kill one person. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. it, they're so prevalent in the movie that it doesn't feel like oh we didn't get enough creature like there's a lot of there's a really good amount of the creatures in this it's just not Mm -hmm. you know ripping apart except for one person tj miller ha 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 love that thank god for that one that was it was a great kill and couldn't have happened to a better character slash actor but (laughs) but like the part that stood out to me again was when she's walking underwater and the, she sees the hands waving and they're all, like, sleeping. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. Like, it's just, again, scale. I think this movie also does scale really well and making you realize, like, how underwater they are. Like, haha, underwater. But, like, appreciating how deep they are under the water. Yes. And how... And how minuscule they are. Yes, how minuscule they are and how terrible... And again, like terrifying it is to be you're so isolated like they there's the earthquake that kind of cuts them off and there's nothing anyone can do about it yeah so my favorite moment oh so much my my favorite moment actually from this watch is a very understated like there's a lot happening but it's a very understated scene it's when uh they realize that there's something out there and they're running and things are falling and there's like a, the camera kind of is focused on their exit, but up in like the top of the screen, there is this eerie ghostly form of the monster that's sort of sitting like the, the, the little oh, babies yes. that's sort of sitting there. And it's a very like shadow and it looks long, elongated. It looks like almost like a Slender Man type S like phantom that's just sort of sitting up there. And it's such a small little detail, but it like. I rewound it because I was like, oh, that's so creepy. It's just so creepy. You do not expect to see a human-looking creature underwater without any equipment just sort of standing there staring down at them. And it's oh, it was my favorite moment. It's so good. I think they build tension really, really well in this movie, too, between, like, both the machinery failing and then the monsters and, like, that whole... I think mm-hmm. they strike a balance with that pretty well as well. And... I mean, let's just cut to the chase. It's actually a Cthulhu movie. Yes, which yeah, I'm a little annoyed about simply because I did. I is on the second watch, knowing what I was going to be getting at the end. 
there's a couple moments where it almost feels like they might add a little bit of madness to it. Like the very opening scene has spider alert has her dealing with this spider there. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, there are moments there were almost as if like, are they going insane? And, you know, when you have something like Cthulhu and the kind of cosmic Cosmic. sense of things, are they seeing things like you kind of expect that? And I was like, I really wish that they had kind of dug deep, deeper into that. But then I found out in an interview that they sort of added in Cthulhu at the last minute. Yeah, that's what I heard, too, which was really annoying to me. Because so Steve is a big Cthulhu person. Um, He you. Fan of H.P. Lovecraft, but very much acknowledges the fact that H.P. Lovecraft is also a terrible person. But, like, he grew up reading the stories and stuff like that. You know, that old chestnut. Um, But when he found out it was Cthulhu, he's like, why'd you have to just, like, wedge it in at the end, though? That seems kind of shitty to just, like, if you're going to use this monster. Or, like, it was scary without it being Cthulhu, even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it being mm-hmm. Cthulhu really added anything to it because they didn't really go into, like, lore. I mean, like, they when they walk across the, the sea floor, like, there is, like, the temples and stuff, which I thought was, like... I was like, oh, there's, like, some cosmic horror stuff here. But they could have just left it at that. But... Yeah. I think the Cthulhu thing... Because they did it after the fact, too, so I think they, like, that got people more excited to watch it, like... If they didn't catch it, you know what I mean? Like, it felt like one of those things that was like, ooh, actually, it was Cthulhu. Go watch my movie. It's a cosmic horror movie. But it's not really. No, it's not. And it kind of bothered me a little bit where it's like, yeah, in the the script, it kind of described it as this whale-looking thing. And, you know, Cthulhu is in the the free domain. And so we're like, let's just do that. But I would have loved to have some weird-ass big whale thing. That would have been even fucking cooler. Like, your own original weird giant, like, leviathan creature from the depths. Mm -hmm. That would have been so cool. But here we are. What the movie does do well, though, is economy of storytelling. And I've talked about this a couple times and stuff. The way that the credits give us all the exposition we need. need. It's like the largest, deepest drill. They talk about how far down in the trench the Mariana Trench is. They show the schematics. They show the eventual path that they take. The drilling anomaly, like there's all this little bits that and that's all we need to know. And then yep. seven minutes into the film, the action is starting and they are on their ray and their their way and they're rushing. And it's just like there's environmental storytelling and there's economy of storytelling, and it just it's all we need for this, man. It's it's so good. Well and like and you get a sense of the character, like this isn't you they invest you in the characters really well in terms of giving you little tidbits about like Kristen Stewart's mm-hmm. like the death of her fiance, but like don't go into detail, but you get just enough information from both like her looking at her locket to like little things she says to people. And like you said, economy of storytelling, you get these characterization beats on top of the action. Like it's all integrated together really mm-hmm. well. So you don't feel like they're spending too much time trying to explain something or get you invested in the characters. Like this is not a movie that wants right. you to like super care. Like, didn't want you to care, but you know what I mean? Like, it's more mm-hmm. into, like, the action elements, and I think it does a really good job of making you like Kristen Stewart's character while also keeping it going, which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Like, I don't think a lot of movies do that super well, and it's always so good to see it done so well and so effectively. Absolutely. I love this movie. I do, too. It's so And good. I'm so freaking pissed that it failed. I know. They just, they've doomed it. And, like, this, I'm sorry, the title Underwater is, like, not a good title. 
No, it really isn't. I don't think it sells it, like, super well. I don't think the marketing for this movie was... I think they were, like, trying to make this, like, air of mystery around it, but I don't think it worked very well for this movie, which is such a bummer. I, I just don't think they did it any favors. I know a lot of horror people like it, so maybe we'll just continue to keep yelling about it until people give it more of a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Because not knowing that Cthulhu's at the end doesn't spoil anything. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't spoil anything. <laughs> We're done with our underwater aquatic horror journey. Um, where are we going next, Mary Beth? And what movie are we starting these off with? <gasps> We're getting horny on Maine, everybody. <laughs> we are looking at erotic thrillers. And I am so fucking excited because I... I'm not super familiar with erotic thrillers. And so we're starting it off with a motherfucking bang with <laughs> Wild Things. I've never Hell, seen it. Yes, and are. I'm so excited. Uh, I cannot wait to rewatch this movie because it has been I, since I was probably a teenager that I saw it. And whew, we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, I'm so stoked. It's going to be very different. It's going to be very horny. It's going to be. Mm. <laughs> I'm so excited. And so. we have like a list of movies, but like if you if you are familiar with erotic thrillers, there's one that you know that we just cannot miss that is like a quintessential text. Please let us know, because I know a little bit about them from like the 90s erotic thriller trend. But like I am not as well versed in this genre either. And so I'm really excited to see a wide range of them. Oh, we got to watch in the cut. I just thought about that. Oh, yeah. Gotta watch in the cut. Sorry, I have I like, seen in the cut. Have I? I no, I'm wondering if I have. I, I I'm not. I have not. That was I, with Meg Ryan, right? Mm-hmm. So, but then Terry, who are we talking to on Monday for Monday's episode? Ooh. On Monday, we are chatting with writer and director Jennifer Reeder. You know her work from Knives and Skin to the wraparound segment in the new VHS film that's on Shutter right now, and. We talk about her career. She kind of drops some hints about what she's going to be doing next, which is really exciting. And then we also dig into Brian De Palma's Carrie. Oh, my God. It's such a cool conversation. She's really cool, and I want to be here when I grow up. So yeah, very stoked for y'all to hear this conversation. Very different from a normal uh, Scarred for Life interview. It's very wide-ranging, and it's very free-forming, free-flowing. So, like... Don't expect a traditional episode, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's so different, good. But it's really good. Like, I could listen to her talk for hours. So, yeah, I'm oh, super You know, stiff. if we had more time, we literally could have been there for another hour and a half. Exactly. We could have for 100%. So, but listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have erotic thriller suggestions for us? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at mbmcandrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please take a few moments of your time and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And make sure that you are subscribed so you're getting these episodes and it helps our download numbers. Please. (laughs) Thank you, Eric Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>